Good morning. Morning. <clears throat> the past three weeks, we've been looking at the miracles of Jesus. These gospel writers wrote these miracles for us to see the glory of Jesus, the incarnate Son of God. And that by seeing the glory of Jesus, we would believe in Jesus for eternal life. When Glenn preached last week, this verse was there in John chapter 2, and I'm going to read it. Jesus revealed his glory, verse 11, John chapter 2, and his disciples believed in him. Jesus actually prayed that this would happen. John chapter 17, verse 20. He prayed, my prayer is not for them alone, them implying the apostles. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Jesus may not be here physically, but Jesus' prayer was that we, today, will see him through the gospels that have been written for us. Therefore, I believe that our study on the miracles of Jesus recorded in the Gospels is actually an answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17. My desire, brothers and sisters, is that as we see the glory of Jesus, God will increase our affections for Christ and that we would respond in faith to Jesus. I want to answer two questions from this passage this morning. Number one, who is Jesus? Number two, who are his disciples? Who is Jesus and who are his disciples? Let's, let's answer the first question. Who is Jesus? The passage has a lot to say about Jesus. Let me share a few things that reveal his glory. One, Jesus prays. The context tells us that Jesus had miraculously fed 5,000 plus people. That's more than 10 times this room. With five loaves of bread and two fish. Matthew then uses the word immediately in verse 22, right after this event, to tell us that there was something on Jesus' mind. And so Jesus sent or compelled the disciples to the other side through the sea, and he went to the mountain to pray. Why? What John tells us that people wanted to make Jesus the king because he fed them. The people had been waiting long for a powerful Messiah, one who would overthrow the Roman power and establish a kingdom. And now when the people saw the powerful things that Jesus did, they wanted to make him king. Jesus was being tempted by the devil to submit to the desires of the people. Fame tempted Jesus. But Jesus will submit only to his father. He was not going to become the king by giving bread. As the king, he was here to give his life. Jesus did not come for fame. He fought this temptation by prayer. But please don't take this act lightly. Jesus 
fights these temptations so that he will be our righteous mediator. We need an obedient, perfect substitute to save us. And Satan wanted Jesus to fail. If Jesus fails, we will face eternal damnation. We have no savior and we have no hope. So don't look at Jesus fighting this temptation through prayer lightly. He triumphed over the temptation by dismissing the crowd and praying to the Father for our salvation. Also, the disciples were growing in their understanding of who Jesus was. And it was easily possible for the disciples to embrace the idea of the crowd. You know, Peter in Matthew 16 did not want Jesus the king to die. We are here in chapter 14 though. Now Jesus wanted to protect his disciples from a false understanding of who he was. So he sends them away. Jesus sent them away to protect them from falsehood. And I think when he prayed, he also prayed for his disciples. As he did in John 17, he would have prayed that they have a better clarity and understanding of who Jesus was and why he had come. I think, therefore, it is safe to say that Jesus' prayer was not only for himself, but also for his disciples. Well, friends, Jesus prays for his disciples even now. That's Romans 8. Jesus, as our high priest, intercedes for us. This is good news for us. Hebrews 7 verse 25 reads, He always lives to make intercession for us. Because Christ intercedes for us, we are preserved to the end. In Luke 22 verses 31 and 32, Jesus spoke to Peter and he said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brothers. Yes, Peter denied Jesus Christ. He should not have denied Jesus Christ. But Jesus prayed for him. I want you to listen to the words of Jesus Christ. I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned, not if you will return. Jesus' prayer for Peter was effective. This is good news, friends, because it reminds us that God will keep us from stumbling because Jesus, our high priest, intercedes for us always. Jesus' intercession for us is our assurance. It is our guarantee that our salvation is secure. Jesus prays. Secondly, he is sovereign. Jesus is sovereign. Now, what do I mean by that? That Jesus has absolute control of whatever is happening here. Things happen the way Jesus will direct it to happen. 
Jesus sent the disciples into the sea. Jesus comes to them walking on the sea. He speaks to them standing on the sea. He calls Peter to walk on the sea. And now he saves Peter from the raging sea. The fact that he walked on water not only proves that he is God, for it is God who walks on water in the Old Testament, Psalm 77 and Job 9. But it also proves that the sea is under his authority. He created the sea. The sea belongs to him. He set the boundary for the sea. Jesus then will not submit to the sea. The sea will submit to Jesus. He will walk on it with absolute freedom. The wind will not threaten him. The wind also will submit to his authority. The wind could stop the boat, but not Jesus. He will stop the wind when he wants it to stop. The wind ceased when Jesus got into the boat. You see, Jesus is in absolute control of the situation. He is so much in control that he can even make Peter walk on water. And that's because he's God. And because he's God, he's sovereign over everything. He's in control of everything that happens in the sea. And friends, the difficulties... In your life does not mean that Jesus has lost control of the situation, that Jesus is too weak and that Jesus is confused. The glory of Jesus in this story is that Jesus has absolute control of the sea and whatever happens in the sea. And if that's the case, Jesus has absolute control over everything that happens in our lives, whether it's family, whether it's future, whether it's friends, whether it's discipleship, whether it's evangelism, whether it's job, whether it's ministry, whether it's sickness, whether it's loss or even traffic jam. It is not Jesus who is weak but us. He is God and he is still in absolute control of our lives. This is good food for weak souls like us. Jesus prays. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is Emmanuel. Now, Jesus is not someone who makes plans for his disciples and leaves them to themselves. In this story, the disciples were in the sea because of Jesus. The sea was Jesus' plan, and the sea was not in favor of them. They were beaten by the waves, meaning it was difficult to move forward. The wind opposed their movement. This is certainly not a place that I would like to be in. But you see... As Jesus sent them, he did not say that he was leaving them. Matthew 14, 22 says, you know, he sent them, and then he uses the expression, go before them, meaning Jesus was going to join them. Jesus joined them in the sea. Verse 25 reads, he came to them walking on the sea. I love that expression. He came to them walking on the sea. Don't try this at home. Jesus comes to them 
as someone in complete control. He comes like the boss. No power could match his might and control. Jesus came to them to be with them to their rescue, to assure them with his presence. Therefore, Jesus' presence should dispense all fear and doubts now. In the sea, all they needed was Jesus. The sovereign one who has absolute control over everything, including their lives, was with them. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Isn't it interesting that the wind does not stop when Jesus appears? Our, our, our temptation in the storm is to ask Jesus to end the storm so we can move on. We like comfort. We don't like interruptions. We don't like sicknesses. It makes us weak. We don't like failures. We don't like loss. We don't like pain. We don't like difficult bosses. They make our life difficult. As the sovereign one, Jesus decides how long the wind will hit the boat. But Jesus doesn't just watch. He ministers to the disciples. Which leads us to a fourth point about Jesus. He is gracious. Jesus is gracious. You know, Matthew draws our attention to Peter's conversation with Jesus from verse 28. Peter's request was not just to walk on water, but to reach Jesus walking on water. His focus and his desire was Jesus. He wanted to be with Jesus. And he knew that unless Jesus approved of it, he would not be able to walk on water. And so he asked in faith. He said, Lord, since it is you, command me to come to you. And Jesus answered his request. Peter began to walk on water. I mean, think about it, guys. Peter walked on water water toward Jesus. He stepped out from the boat and he walked on water. But he began to sink when he turned his eyes from Jesus to the sea. Faith had turned to doubt. And Peter called for help. I want you to observe how Jesus responds in verse 31. Jesus immediately doesn't laugh at Jesus, at Peter, immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? You know, Peter's prayer was for his physical deliverance. Lord, save me from this water. I would sink and I would die. But Jesus answered him and saved him physically and spiritually. 
there was physical deliverance and there was ministry, spiritual ministry happening here. In other words, Jesus was telling him, Peter, it was your doubt that caused you to sink. You began well. Believe in me. You know, Peter might have taken his eyes off Jesus, but Jesus did not take his eyes off Peter. Jesus held Peter and saved him. We will fail to see the glory of Jesus if we think that Matthew wrote this story to tell us how weak and arrogant Peter was. The gospel is not about Peter, it's about Jesus. We will fail to see Jesus' glory and the extent of his love if we focus on Peter. Here's the glory of Jesus. Here it is. Even when Peter took his eyes off Jesus, Jesus did not take his eyes off him. He rescued Peter and ministered to his soul. The great Lord who has absolute control over sea and walked on raging waters is a Lord who is gracious and tender toward those who doubt him. He helps his children in their weakness and rescues them from sinking. Did you notice that Jesus did not humble Peter? He did not make fun of Peter. He did not condemn Peter. Jesus does not destroy faith. He encourages it. This tenderness of Jesus, this gracious heart, toward the one in doubt, not only restores faith, but increases it. This is the most essential and perfect help. Jesus' desire is not to condemn his children, the ones he had died for. His desire is not to take us on a guilt trip. His aim is not to make us sink in guilt, but to help us see him and his righteousness and to save us from guilt and condemnation. The New Testament certainly condemns sin. Certainly. But the New Testament elevates Christ. His grace is greater than our sin. His righteousness is greater than our unrighteousness. For those of us who struggle with guilt and self-condemnation, take a look at the glory of Christ here. God did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. There is therefore no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And we just sang that song. No guilt in life. No fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. It is looking at the gracious Savior regularly, regularly, that will increase our joy and faith in Him. Jesus prays, He's sovereign, He's Emmanuel. And he is gracious. This is the glory of Jesus here. But who are his disciples? The story also tells us who his disciples are. Yes, Jesus' disciples, we want to ask where we correspond with these disciples in the sea. Let me tell you two things that stand out in the passage about who Jesus' disciples are. One, 
you see obedience that springs from faith in these disciples. You know, the disciples do not offer any resistance to the plan of Jesus. They listen to Jesus and leave the shores to the sea, not knowing what will come their way. They don't, they don't know what Jesus has planned for them in the sea. This sort of obedience spring from faith. And this is what simple faith is. Simple faith does not place conditions to obey. That if things are good and nice, we will go. That if we have all our questions answered, we will go. That if there's no pain down this path, we will go. That if he talks to me nicely, then I will talk. Nothing kept them from obeying Jesus. They left for the sea. But that's not all. The disciples persisted in obedience in the raging sea. Obedience that springs from faith is obedience that lasts. These disciples have been in the sea for more than eight hours. Jesus sent them in the evening and Jesus comes to them in the fourth hour. That's about 3 a.m. in the morning. They're tired. When there's wind against the boat and when there are waves that oppose you, life on the boat becomes difficult. So Jesus actually directed them toward a raging sea and Jesus decreed discomfort for them. If that's the case, obedience to Jesus does not guarantee freedom from struggle. Obedience to Jesus does not guarantee freedom from struggle, but what makes obedience possible in the struggle is the grace that comes to us from Jesus. Jesus gives grace. Jesus' grace gives strength to face the difficulties of life with joy and hope. So in the disciples, you see obedience that spring from faith. But there's one more thing. Disciples of Jesus live by faith. You know, these disciples were chosen by Jesus to be with him and eventually to send them out. They have been observing Jesus and they've been listening to him. He does not teach like others. He teaches as one with authority. Jesus also does things that no one else can do. Things that only God can do. Well, that's because he's God. When he speaks. Well, friends, I want you to think about it. When Jesus speaks, sickness is removed. The blind see. Demons flee. The wind and the waves obey him. The disciples have been seeing his glory for some time now. Here in chapter 14, they get to have another glimpse of Jesus' glory. Every time they see glory, their faith should increase. It is seeing the glory of Jesus that produces 
faith in us. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. We see the glory of Christ and we put our faith in him. That's how it begins. And this kind of continual seeing that in, is what increases our faith in us. Such sight of the glory of Jesus not only increases faith, but also moves us to take steps of faith. And that's exactly what Peter does here. Peter's request from the boat happens in the raging sea when he sees Jesus. And his request is no joke. It stems from utter dependence on the authority and power of Jesus. Peter sees the glory of Jesus and he seeks permission to walk toward Jesus. He knows that Jesus has the power to make him walk on water toward Jesus. You must see Peter's faith and devotion here. He's not being arrogant. This is what disciples of Jesus do when faith is alive and is at work. They step out of the boat. They will walk on the raging sea by fixing their eyes on Jesus. Let me give you an example. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. The church in Thessalonica had been planted. Paul writes a letter to them saying, You guys welcomed the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the midst of persecution. So I'm reading 1 Thessalonians 1. You welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering. That's faith. And you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Faith works. Faith moves you beyond your comfort zone. Afflictions will not kill their faith. Their faith will move them even if there are afflictions. That's the kind of faith you see in Peter here. But Peter does not walk for long. What happened? Well, Peter heard the sound of the raging waters. This is 3 a.m. in the morning, guys. 3 a.m. And he's standing on water. There's the sound of the raging waters. He saw the raging waters. He felt the waters hit against him, and he was afraid. The, the wind and waters instilled fear in him, and he could not see Jesus anymore. Peter began to sink out of fear. Peter did not lose faith. He did not lose faith. He had little faith. It is, it is his little faith in Jesus that caused him to call out to Jesus and say, Lord, save me. Save me. You see, fear happens when we listen to our interpretations of circumstances. Our minds begin to be consumed with all the what-ifs. And we respond in fear. Fear weakens our faith in God. It kills hope. Jesus asked Peter, why did you doubt? 
Do you see what fear produces? Doubt. It also produces anxiety. It produces discouragement. Fear makes us weak. It keeps us from obeying Jesus. Fear kills joy. Faith brings joy. And disciples of Jesus fight fear by faith. If, if, if fear is what makes you weak, faith is what will make you strong. In our moments of fear, it is our faith in Jesus that will hold us and bring us joy. That's why it's a battle. We have to fight for joy in the raging sea. It's a battle. It's possible that some of you seated here today and struggling with fear and you're weak. And you've lost joy and you don't know what to do. It's also possible that some of you seated here are struggling with doubt in your heart. It's been a difficult season and you've been tempted to doubt God's goodness and kindness and it's keeping you from trusting God. You don't want to pray. You don't want to look to God. God is absent. That's what fear does. Well, how do you fight fear? Let me share with you five things that you can do when you're struggling with fear. Five things that you can do when you're struggling with fear. I learned this from John Piper. This is an acronym, APTAT, A-P-T-A-T. APTAT means, means nothing. A-P-T-A-T, admit it. Admit it. This is where we begin. Admit that we can do nothing without Jesus. Like nothing. We just can't fight our fears without Jesus. Admit your weaknesses. Vocalize it. Say to God. Pray. When we pray, we are looking beyond ourselves. Let me read you Psalm 55. This is David's psalm. He says, Fear and trembling have beset me. And I said, Oh, I wish I had the wings of a dove and I could fly and be at rest. That's what we want to do when we are afraid. We just want to run away and be by ourselves. But then David says in verse 16, Psalm 50, 55, verse 16, As for me, I will call to God and the Lord will save me. I will call to Lord, call unto God. That's prayer. Pray. Aptat. Admit, pray, trust. Psalm 56.3. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. Cling to the promises that are ours because of Jesus Christ. Let me share with you one of them. First Peter 5, 7. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Well, how do we know that God cares for us? Look at Christ. Look at Christ. You will see God's loving concern for us. Admit it, pray, trust, for, act. 
Well, we can't be passive. We've got to do it. We've got to obey. We've admitted it. We've prayed about it. We've trusted in the promises of God. We've got to move now. If there is something that's keeping us from, if there is fear that's keeping us from doing something, do it. Trust in the promises of God. Do it. I remember Garrett Kell saying, the best way to start doing something is by doing it. Here, you're not doing it relying on yourself, but you're doing it relying on the promises of God. Act. A-P-T-A-T, admit, pray, trust, act, thank. Thank God. Psalm 34, verses 1, 2, and 4. David says, I will extol the Lord at all times. I will glory in the Lord. I will brag about God. Well, why? I sought the Lord. This is verse 4. And he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. When God rescues us from our fears and our doubts and our anxieties, thank God. God just ministered to our hearts. Thank God for freedom from fear. We know the story does not end with Jesus saving Peter. Which means my sermon hasn't ended yet too. The story ends with worship. In verse 33, the disciples have witnessed all that they had all that had happened, and they respond in worship. Listen to their confession. Truly, you are the Son of God. Jesus has glory because he is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God in the sense he is God who manifested in human form. Satan recognized Jesus to be God when he tempted Jesus said, since you are the son of God, command these stones to turn to bread. He was asking Jesus to do something that only God could do. He recognized the deity of Jesus using the expression son of God. When Jesus, Jesus stood before trial, as he stood before Pontius Pilate, the Jewish leader said, we have a law and according to that law, he must die because he has claimed to be the son of God. They, the Jewish leaders, understood that when Jesus used the title for himself, he meant that he was God and therefore it was blasphemous for them. To be the son of God means to be of the same nature as God. The son of God is God. That's why he did the things he did in this story. Everything that happens in the story points to his glory. Jesus is God. But you also see Jesus' glory displayed on the cross when he took our sins upon himself and he died. There is glory in the cross because of the person on the cross. There is glory in the cross because the cross tells us that God, God came to save his enemies. There is glory in the cross because the cross tells us that the one on the cross knew no sin but became sin for us. 
There is glory in the cross because on the cross you see grace and mercy coming from heaven for sinners like us. There is glory in the cross because there on the cross you see God's holy wrath absorbed fully, completely, perfectly by the Son of God. There is glory in the cross because Jesus attained our salvation through the cross. There is glory in the cross because the cross meant victory, not defeat. The death of Jesus on the cross then is good news. Sin has been dealt with once and for all. No more sacrifice needed. Forgiveness guaranteed. Jesus died, rose again on the third day. He defeated sin and he defeated death. Jesus is glorious not because, not just because he created the sea and he walked on the water, but he's glorious because he also went to the cross, defeated sin and death, and earned salvation for sinners like us. Maybe you're here today and you're not sure who Jesus is. He is the Son of God who came to save us by dying on behalf of us. And through his death, we become the sons of God. Repent and believe in the Son of God for your salvation. Maybe you're here today and you've begun to doubt God's goodness and love. Please look at the cross and fight your doubts. Maybe you're fighting fear now and you think God is against you. Look at the cross. It tells you that God is for you because of Jesus and God is with you. Fight your fears with your faith. Let's pray. Father, we ask that your spirit would cause us to see the glory of Christ. That he's sovereign. That he's Emmanuel. That he's gracious. That he's tender-hearted. We would see glory on the cross where Christ hangs humbly, joyfully, selflessly for us to earn our salvation. Will you produce hope in us and give us joy as we look at Christ? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.